0: Right, This morning, you would have got one of these, like Oprah. Look under your chair. Look next to you. Look somewhere. Everyone's got one. Look under your chair. Oh, All right. It's a page. Yes. No, it's not a chocolate frisker. No. Um, I want to ask you, don't get distracted by this right now. So in about 10 minutes, I'm going to give you a chance while we sit here together to read it. All right. We're going to read it now this morning, but I just wanted to encourage you not to get too involved with it right now, I want you to listen rather, and I will give you a space just now. So let me quickly start us off by saying that we're in the middle of a DNA series, if you're just joining us. What that means, uh, we've stolen obviously DNA, it's not an original word, I wish it was, Um, but what it means is who we are. What we believe, what makes us tick, what is, what is One Hope community? There's lots of churches you could join, lots of good churches you could join. And so we're saying, this is what we believe, this is what's unique to us. And here's what I said in the very first sermon. At the end, we want as much clarity in people's minds as to whether or not One Hope is where them and their family should put down community roots. That's our stated goal, so we're trying to be explicit, we're trying to be clear, and here's what we're going to do for the next seven weeks, including today, which will end us up in the first week of December, right? So here's a quick run-through. The first thing which I'm speaking on today is that we want to believe together. What is it that we believe so we're going to speak specifically into some of these things. We, the second week, we're going to speak about serving together. The call of Christ to lay our lives down, to serve one another, part of being community is a huge thing. Then we're taking a break on the 3rd of November. Those of you who've been a while for a while, this is a familiar thing on our calendar. Thanksgiving Sunday is the Sunday where you get to preach. All right, so what that means is that I don't preach at all. None of our other preachers preach. We open up the microphone. It's a risky strategy, we know. And you come up and give testimonies of what God has done in your lives, in your friends' lives throughout the year. And that's how we spend our entire meeting. And it's probably for me, It's one of my favorite meetings every year. Last year it was so good we had to do it on two Sundays because it was just amazing hearing from one another. So that's what we do on Thanksgiving Sunday. And then afterwards we have a picnic together so you can that one you can bring picnic stuff, right? Don't worry about the rugby, you can just come for that. And the rugby's happening even if South Africa, no, I'm not even going to say that, okay? We'll see South Africa next week in the rugby. But that Sunday is really critical for us and I've moved it forward, students especially because last year I had a lot of bleating from our student body saying that they missed it because it was traditionally the last service we did in the year. It was like the fifteenth of November or so of December. So we've moved that all the way forward, especially for you guys. So be there and here's a great way to do a testimony. What what was not going well or what was wrong? What did Jesus do? What's changed? That's a brilliant way to do a testimony, all right? And you can do that in two minutes. We'd be very thankful. (laughs) Then the, the fourth one, just because there's a lot of people who want to share. The fourth one is on mission together. That's the 10th of November. I want to just highlight one thing. On that day, we're going to be speaking about seeds, about mission, about how God plants us, about why this is important. On that day, we're going to be praying off all our students who are leaving us for the end of the year. All right, So we see that even though it's such a heart moment, we trying to be optimistic and saying, God, we see this as seeds in your hand. Send them, plant them. This is part of our organic missions Is as we send our students out. Then we're going to speak about doing life together. What does it mean to be a community? What are our rhythms? What does that look like? Very practical. We're going to speak about being generous together, about finance, about time, about all these different aspects of, of how we are generous toward one another, opening our homes, hospitality. And then we'll finish off with leading together. All right. Hopefully, somewhere on that list, stuff that you've been thinking, I wonder if I should join this church. I wonder why I joined this church. I wonder what's important to this church. Hopefully, somewhere under those categories, it will fall. Otherwise, we're open for coffees and whatever else to help you around whatever it is you need to know. So let's talk about believing together. And I want to speak about two phrases that we've been using. This is already, I think, the sixth week we've been speaking about our DNA. So there's two phrases we've been using, or two ideas. One of them is that there's this idea that there's these incredibly important things which we're calling blood issues. They're the blood issues. Then there's other things which are not as important, but they're still very important and those we call pen and then there's this idea of pencil, which are issues which we don't think are as critical. So I just want to be extremely clear and articulate this morning what it is we mean by that. Because I've heard some confusion from different people, not quite sure what we mean. And then we've been using a second phrase, which is this. In the essentials, you should know this by now. In the essentials, unity. unity. In the non-essentials, no. no. No, liberty, and in all else. There we go. In all else, love, charity, or grace. And this is one of the old Moravian sayings and it's very helpful. So I want to just clearly articulate what it is we mean when we use these phrases. So blood means this. It's essential to salvation and the true gospel. Those are the issues we are calling blood issues, essential to the salvation, to salvation and the true gospel. In other words, if you do not believe these truths, we do not believe that you follow Christ in the way that Scripture lays out. So it's not something we can differ on, right? And that when we now to use the Moravian saying, when we say in the essentials unity, those are the essentials we are talking about. These essentials we have to be. Agreed. Blood issues. Our scripture around that is Galatians 1, verse 6 to 9. Paul writing to the Galatians and he says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one. But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. And then I love this. But even if we... The great Apostle Paul. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. This is a serious issue. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. So these are for us. The blood issues, the salvation issues, the issues we're going to die on a hill over, that we're going to fight you over, and we're going to ask you to leave our church over. These are the ones, right? Then we come to, to pen issues. Now, we need to be very clear. I'm being extremely careful with my words this morning. Then we come to pen issues. We believe that these are not essential to salvation. In other words, if other Christians who hold the same blood issues as us, hold different pen issues. We are going to be in the same heaven, worshipping the same Jesus, standing together. Pen issues. Right? But while we hold an attitude of liberty, we must make it clear that these positions are key to one hope. They are extremely important to our understanding of the Word of God and to the way that we practice what we practice. We do believe that a wrong understanding of the pen issues have substantial effect in people's lives. Let me give you a couple of examples. We believe that it leaves people anemic in their walk with God. So we believe one of our pen issues which we'll get to just now is a correct understanding of the Holy Spirit and of the gifts of the Holy Spirit and how he works in the church. If you don't believe what we believe, we believe so a lot of beliefs in there. We believe that that leaves you anemic it means that you're not able to function in all of what God wants you to function in. That's our position. It leaves you pastorally vulnerable. So I think of a conversation I had with a man who was of the sincere belief that his father, who was in a wheelchair, had died because him, the son, didn't have enough faith to raise his father from the wheelchair and from the illness. All right. Now what does that come from? That comes from a doctrine where we believe something incorrect, which then leads to a pastoral vulnerability in our lives. It leaves us very vulnerable. Alright? That's why belief matters. And it leaves us blind to some of the aspects of God. So I don't want to, I don't want to spend much time on this. I just want to get a lot of... Is, is this clear? Is this helpful? Okay, just so that you understand what we mean when we say a blood issue. We got it. Salvation issues. A pen issue. Non-salvational, but still... Very important, having a lot of practical um, outworkings. We could do a lot of examples there. 2 Timothy 3 would be the text that we'd appeal to here. There's many others we could go to. But verse 16, very famous text. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and training in righteousness. That the man or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So our, our point in that text is the word of God speaks. The word of God is meant to be useful for training. It's practical. It's meant to outwork its way into our lives. If I was going to then compare this pen to the Moravian phrase, it would be non-salvation essentials equal liberty. I would insert that there. So in the essentials, unity. In the non-salvation essentials, just for clarity's sake, liberty. People are free to believe different things to us, And still go to heaven and still love Jesus. And there's an abundance of proof all through our town of exactly that in motion and in play. All right, are you with me? And then the pencil issues are those things which we believe are not salvational, that we do not hold deep scriptural conviction on. And as such, we're saying to each believer, You need to decide in good conscience before God what it is you believe. And here we would appeal to you, this is where the the Moravians would speak about in all else charity, in all else grace, in all else love. We would appeal to 2 Timothy 2 verse 23, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. In other words, pick your fight. Don't go after everything. Pick your fight. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but instead must be kind to everyone. Able to teach, not just your dogmatic opinion. Actually able to help someone understand why it is you believe what you believe. And hopefully convince them wisely, winsomely. Patiently enduring evil. Correcting his opponents with gentleness. Man, if some of our life groups could take this on board. Right? This would be so helpful. Or Romans 14, verse 17 says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. In other words, let the main things be the main things. Don't have a long-standing scriptural argument around vegetarianism. Doesn't matter. It's not a matter of eating or drinking. Right? Have long arguments about righteousness and peace. And joy in the Holy Spirit. And when you have those long arguments, do them with gentleness, able to teach, kind to everyone, patiently enduring. All right. Hopefully, that lays a clear foundation i just needed i I just heard different people have communicated to me some confusion around how we're using those phrases and i just thought let me just wrap it up and hopefully with a little bit of a bow and just say that's what we're trying to say that's what we're trying to do that's the clarity we're going after but what we're preaching on in this series is dna should you join this church series it's it's a very practical series it should be very practical and it should answer very practical questions like what happens if i differ with you what happens if I don't agree? What, when is it a deal breaker? When is it, when is it not? So we're going we're to come back to that in a minute. But right now is your moment to get your Oprah hand out and read. This is a statement of faith. You probably won't get through all of it right now. But I wanted to put something in your hands that we believe. Have you made a good start? There's a lot of scripture, so if you didn't have any plans for your quiet time for the next few weeks, you could use this, it would be helpful. I want to pray. Can I stop it there, is that alright? This is for you, so you can take it away, you've got lots of time, I just want to give us a little bit of time to get a sense of it. I am so acutely aware as I speak this morning of how... Um, easy it is to come across as judgmental, how easy it is to come across as arrogant, how easy it is to make it seem like this is the in crowd, this is the out crowd, you're excluded, you're in, that's not my heart, it's not our heart as elders at all. And so I just want to pray and ask that the Spirit of God would hover over us as we, as we speak and as we think through these things together because it's this, it's this tricky line of trying to be as clear as we can. And bringing clarity in a world which is awash with relativity and all of this. And we need to bring clarity and say, no, this is what we believe. And this is what we humbly hold Scripture to say without being arrogant and without being judgmental. So, Father, that's, as you've seen through generations of church history, an incredible tricky line to toe. I want to pray that this morning our heart would come across. Our heart to love, to include, to allow you to be the judge over our lives. For those who've run with us for a long time. For those who are just looking in. For those who don't even know you, Father. There's so many different people sitting here this morning. And I want to pray just that the Holy Spirit would open our ears to hear rightly. Pray against offense. I pray for humility in my heart, in our hearts, as we not just preach this, but as we live this out, Father, one to another, toward other churches, toward other believers in our family and our friendship circle, Father, that our posture would not be one of knowing it the right and saying, "This this is the only way it can be and you're wrong, and Father, our posture would rather be one of humility, grace, charity and love toward one another when these issues are not blood issues, Father. And even when there are blood issues, Lord, salvation issues, would we be gracious, kind, thoughtful, winsome, hoping in prayer to win some to your name rather than being bombastic and proud. Lord, I know I'm going to say things this morning which are going to be unhelpful in the way that Perhaps i say them and in the way that they heard. And I just want to thank you that your Holy Spirit is bigger than that. And I ask your grace upon us as we speak together this morning. In Jesus' name. So, amen. So I want to, as I've been promising, I want to speak practically through how this outworks in a community. So how does blood, pen, pencil, or essentials, non-essentials, all else, how does this work its way out in a community? So we're going to actually speak to specific examples in a little bit um, more holistic way. And then just for the sake of time, we can't do that to all our pen issues. So we're then going to just do a few quick pen issues in a a more um, compact way, if that makes sense. So The first one I would just like to speak to briefly as an example. This is kind of an introduction onto how we use blood, pen, and pencil. I'll use the issue of creation. How did God create the world? Right? Anyone want to come and preach? It's easy, right? So here's here's the blood issue for us. If we had to say, what is the blood issue around creation? This is the blood issue that God is uncreated and eternal. That God created the heavens and the earth through His spoken word from nothing and that He sustains it in an ongoing way. All of creation is sustained ongoingly by a mighty and powerful God. That's our blood. Now this might, the next part now when we get to pen is where it begins to get very tricky. So I'm going to tell you what our position as One Hope elders is on the pen side. We don't hold a specific pen view on the mechanisms or the mechanics of how God created the world. And that's okay for us. So for us, that falls into a pencil bracket where we say God could have used multiple ways to create the world. So there's seven-day creation, there's the day-age theory, for some there's evolution, there's all these different ways that God could have created the world. But then this is very, very key for us. The outworking, of how that works is that we must be certain in our hearts that God is powerful enough to create in any way he chooses. So that would be right up there with the blood issues for us. We cannot state, God, you are all powerful, but you know what? You couldn't have done it with a spoken word in seven literal days. We cannot say that. We must be able to hold a position that we say, God, if you wanted to create in seven literal days, man, you could have done that, and you could have done it in seven seconds. You could have done it in, in no time at all. Spoken word of God, laugh. So are you with me? That's how we are, are using this in a very practical way to try and understand what it means to run in community together. Now that one, that one some of you, for some of you, that will be really hard to hear me say that. You, you would like me to have a pen issue. That's a very specific pen issue. And I understand that, and that's okay. And then for some of you, we're going to have some pen issues where you're going to be, hey, that's not a pen issue, that's a pencil issue in my book. And that's okay as well. And we're going to finish off by talking about how we run together and should we run together when we hold these different views. So the next one I want to speak about is believers' baptism. Do you know what I mean by that term? In other words, not infant baptism. You're baptized once you're old enough to understand what it is you're doing. And the age of that could vary depending on the child or the adult. But when an adult or a a child who understands that they have received salvation is being baptized, the phrase for that is called believer's baptism. All right. Now here's here's the blood issue for us. The blood issue is that salvation is by faith alone through grace alone and no form of any baptism or any other ritual can bring us to salvation. Blood. We must believe that. That it's only through the grace of Jesus Christ and faith alone that we can come. Now here's the pen issue for us. Pen, for us as an eldership team at One Hope, is that we should practice believers' baptism as the normal, obedient response to demonstrate the new life that we have already received at our conversion. So that's how we believe it should be practiced. We believe it should be done as soon after conversion as possible. So if someone gets saved, we should be baptizing them in weeks, not years. We believe that any Christ follower can baptize any other Christ follower. I.e. it doesn't have to be me or one of our elders. Any one of you can go in a, in a, in a pool, in a bath, with a cup of water if you're in the desert. And you can baptize one another. This is what we believe scripture teaches. This is a pen issue for us. And we believe wholeheartedly that we cannot baptize those who do not have evidence of conversion in their hearts. So those who do not follow this Jesus, we cannot baptize them, which is why, from a long argument point of view, why we don't believe that infants should be baptized. But, and the pencil issue would be how you baptize. doesn't matter whether in a bath, whether in a pool, whether in the sea, whether with a few friends around, whether your family comes down from Johannesburg, we've had all of those things and we delight in all of those things and they're all beautiful. The outworking for us when we disagree is hugely important. What do we do when we disagree with people like R.C. Sproul, Tim Keller? You might not know that these guys believe in infant baptism as well as some of them believe as baptism or both, Right? We respectfully and graciously disagree while we hold to what we believe Scripture to teach, extending grace that godly men and women do it differently. That for me is, for us as a team, I think is is the heart of how we would like to respond. There are people, guys, who reach an infant Baptist position having thoroughly studied it having looked at the Word of God, they're not just just tradition and other things. They're looking at the Word of God and they reach a conclusion wholly different to us. And we're saying we don't agree, but that's okay. We're going to worship in heaven with you one day and then we will know. And maybe God will say, oh, you guys, it was both. Who knows? But for us, this is what we hold to. The third one I want to deal with, deal with is such a, Negative word. Third one, I want to celebrate. I want to speak word. What's a good word? Come on, someone, give me a good word. Explore. There we go. Approach. I don't have a chocolate, but I have a peppermint. Was it Tuna? Was it Cara? Was it Amanda? Not to say you need it. It's always rude to give. It's always rude to give someone a peppermint. You know. Hey, would you like a chewing gum? And breathing on me for the last two hours. The third one I'd like to explore is Holy Spirit baptism. Now, I want us to state right up front that this is not a charismatic word. It's a scripture word. Scripture speaks about the baptism of the Spirit again and again and again. Now, here's the blood issue for us. This is the blood issue. The Holy Spirit, the promise of the Father, as He's called in the beginning of Acts, is God. He's not a force. He is God. The second blood part for us is that he draws us to Christ. We cannot come to Christ without the Holy Spirit. In fact, his primary role is to glorify Christ and to glorify the Father. It's the Holy Spirit's primary role. So I love this example. I heard a friend of mine once speak about the way that we approach the Holy Spirit is sometimes like a light on Table Mountain. And this light is meant to be shining up and showing the beauty of Table Mountain. But there's this group of hippies who've arrived in their VW buses and their their hair and everything else. And they're dancing around the light and everything is about the light. And they're so excited about the light and they're having a party about the light and they're brining their sausages in front of the light. Right? And everything's about the light. But actually the light doesn't exist for their party. The light exists to show the mountain. And that's a beautiful metaphor for me of how the Holy Spirit is meant to work in our lives. We don't get all charismatic and just around the Holy Spirit. And everything's about the experience of the Holy Spirit. And let's just soak and soak and soak and soak soak in the Holy Spirit. And those things can be good. But its primary role is to show the Father. It's to show Jesus. And we miss the point if we start dancing around the light. And I can't digress too much because we've got a lot to get to. The third blood issue for us is that he, so he, he's God, he's the only one who can draw us to salvation, and at salvation he indwells us. We receive him at salvation. You cannot be a true believer without the Holy Spirit entering and in indwelling you at conversion. Are we clear? Hopefully. I can see I'm going to have a lot of coffees after this one. And I look forward to them, genuinely. That's not, a, that's not a slight on anybody. The pen issue for us is that we believe from the testimony of multiple scriptures and example given in scripture that there is an experience which is often subsequent to salvation of being filled or baptized with the Holy Spirit. This is where it gets controversial. This, is, this experience is primarily for the purpose of empowering a believer for ministry. I'm not going to preach on this. I'm not going to teach on this. This morning is my point is to just kind of put it out there and say this is clarity around where we stand. We can be sure when it happens in our lives. We know that it's happened. So Paul in Acts 18, 19 when he asks them, he says, Did you receive the Holy Spirit? It makes no sense to us that he could ask that question if they didn't know. How could you ask, did you receive something? Did you go somewhere when you went there? you got to know if you went there. And there's a whole other sermon off the back of that, which at some point we need to get to. But it's not like crossing the equator where, for us, where you're not sure whether it happened or not. You just find out one day you're in a different country. The second pen issue for us is that we believe that the gifts of the Spirit are for every believer today, and in tension with that, we believe that we should not use them as a criteria of someone's spirituality. I think that's where so much angst has come in around this, where we start to grade the gifts. And what gift do you have? And what do you have? And yours is more important, and you're a real Christian, and you're not a Christian. There's this, there comes this first and second rate Christianity. Man, we are so against that. So we believe that the gifts are for every believer. The Holy Spirit is for every believer, but it's not some criteria of your super spirituality. Thirdly, a pen issue, we believe that they must be used appropriately. As laid out in Scripture, you can go and read Corinthians 12, 13, 14. That whole three chapters is around how the gifts of the Spirit and the Holy Spirit ought to be used in Scripture. And the fourth one, some of you can hopefully breathe a sigh of relief over this. I I think this has done so much damage in this understanding of the Holy Spirit, is that we do not Believe that tongues is the primary or only, or have to have evidence of the Holy Spirit filling somebody. I've been in so many scenarios where it's just like, just, just, just open your mouth and speak. Blah 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 blah. It's manipulation. It's not the Holy Spirit coming upon you. I don't subscribe to it. We don't subscribe to it. I don't think it's of God, and it's not right. And it cheapens it, because then people have this experience they think is the Holy Spirit, but it's not the Holy Spirit, and so they don't then push on for more. They're not hungry for more. Blah, 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 blah. And that's not to say that the genuine gift of tongues, we completely believe in that. Completely. I hope you're hearing what I'm saying and not what I'm not saying. The pencil side of this, very quiet today. The pencil side of this is that it can happen any way the Holy Spirit chooses. I think we get so hung up on how and why and what happened to him and why didn't that happen to me and how come he's crying and he's not. Man, the Holy Spirit is big. He's creative. He can do it like he wants. And the the test is fruit. If you want to know someone baptized in the Holy Spirit or someone working in the Holy Spirit, look at the fruit. Look at the fruit of their lives, not the experience. All right, so those are, those are three that I've gone into a little bit more detail in to try and help say this is how we're using blood, pen, and pencil. Because we're thinking about these things as an eldership team. We're thinking as, as wider leaders, we should be thinking about what is it we actually believe and why does it matter? Is it important or is it a small thing? So we're preaching DNA. So like I said, we should be able to ask questions like, should I join this church? Can I join this church? What if you differ with us? When is it a deal breaker? When is it not? Let me see if I want to cover all of this. I think I do. Let me state the blood, the blood part of this positively first. Todd Hunter, is a theologian he worked for Alpha for many years, um, says, I think his theology is wrong in the first part, the church that I would build, the church that Jesus is building, just a technicality, um, would be a community of people who believe the gospel so much that they actually order their lives around it. I love that. I love that. Pete Pete started using that phrase when I was, I think, 2001, 2002 was the first time I heard that, and that has stuck with me forever. I just think it's so powerful that the gospel so gets a hold of our hearts that we actually order our lives around it, and that's the blood side of it for us. Is this gospel alive? Is it living in us? So, this is this is a tricky part now, but I want to, I want to just speak about what happens if we disagree on what the gospel is. So, if we disagree on what the blood issue is, I want to say with all grace, as much grace as I can in my heart, that we cannot run together. If we do not believe the same gospel. We cannot run together. I want to say this carefully because I know that some of you don't yet believe in Jesus. And you're here in the room with us today. And you are welcome. And we want you here. But I need you to know that if you are not yet a believer in Jesus, you are welcome to come for as many years as you need to. And you can keep coming and make friendships and go to our life groups and all of those things. But we can't pretend and say we're going to welcome you in as a partner in our church because it would be one of the least loving things we could do to you. We want to keep holding a line and saying, no, you are not yet part of the body of Christ until you have accepted Jesus as your Savior. And spell out the clear gospel for them. Then, Even the, the more tricky one is people who grew up in a Christian home. And they think that they are believers. And they're convinced that what they have understood is the gospel. And it's our job as a community to graciously and carefully and lovingly say, no, you haven't understood the gospel. It's not by works, it's not by this, it's not by that, whatever it may be. And to lovingly and carefully lead them to a place where we can partner with them. But it's important to say that we can't partner with them until we believe that is a true affirmation of faith in their hearts. And the last person that we would not be able to welcome as a partner is, is anyone who was living in willful, unrepentant sin. You were choosing to sin, and you were refusing to see it as sin, and saying, I will not repent of that sin. We could not in good conscience say, hey, welcome, come on, be a partner with One Hope. Hopefully that, hopefully that makes sense. I know it's, it's fairly obvious. It's, it's clear, but I know it's also difficult. So I want to just make sure that we're on the same page there. Then what about if someone has a very differing pen issue to us? So the, some of those things, and I'm going to speak through another five or six now, and just kind of throw them out there and say, this is what we believe. This is where it gets a lot more tricky. So hopefully if you've been coming for a while, you already have a deep sense of what it is we believe. We preach about it. We open. We're not, we don't hide the stuff under rocks. We're very, very open around what positions we hold. But for the sake of clarity, I'm going to briefly mention a few positions. I've already spoken about believers' baptism. I've already spoken about the Holy Spirit. I want to speak briefly around gifts of the Holy Spirit. So we reject cessationism. Cessationism is a big word that means um, that some of the gifts were only for the apostolic age and then they ceased. We don't believe that's true. We we very much believe that all of the gifts are part of God's current plan and current purpose for us as a church. In fact, they're one of the most beautiful and life-giving parts of being part of the local community. They build us up in our faith. They help direct us in God's purposes for us. They encourage us. They build us up... And they're not to be abused. So it's that tension. We believe they're here. We believe they're for the local church. But man, God, help us not to abuse these things. And we've all seen that, right? Another pen issue or something we hold very dear is the family or marriage view. We believe that scripture clearly teaches. I don't know why they give these things all such big words. Cessationism. Complementarianism. All right? Complementarianism is a big word that means we complement one another. Now, that's not saying, Tom, I really like your shirt today. That's not the, that's not the idea. I do like your shirt, but that's not the idea. Um, it's not that saying that. It's saying that men and women have different but complementary roles in marriage, in family life, in church life, and elsewhere in society. And that, the, that God, this is the important part, that God designed that to be good. It's not some burden that you, that you joyfully, or not so joyfully have to carry. God designed that to be good, and He designed it for you to flourish, men and women, that we should flourish as we love each other, as we learn to biblically submit to one another, as we learn to serve one another. A complementarianism for us is not the man sitting on the couch, hey love, Fetch me another beer, the rugby's on. That's not complementarianism. That is South Africanism, and it's a horrible thing. I'm serious, it is. It's not a good thing, right? It's like God made me the head. I think, specifically in our culture, in our context, I think we have an overdeveloped and ungodly and completely unscriptural view of submission, The way that Scripture teaches submission is costly, and it's difficult to do, and it's laying your life down. And we've taken that, and somehow in our culture it's really been mangled. And so there's this this overdeveloped view on submission, and then I think there's an underdeveloped view of what serving one another looks like. Scripture says we serve one another as Christ served the church If you go and do a study on that, there is no way that you reach the conclusions around submission that many men, particularly in this culture, would put forward as biblical. All right? Male headship means I lay my life down for you, for my family. So complementarianism, equal in value, no difference in value, but different in roles. That God has created us to complement one another, not to just be the same. That's what we believe. That leads into women in leadership. Let me state right up front, we love woman leading. We love it. We believe it's a godly thing. We believe God created woman to lead in multiple forums, in business, in all sorts of different places, including the local church, Is our belief as elders. Every avenue of church leadership is open to them, including preaching under the headship of the eldership. We believe that, barring one thing, eldership itself. Which we believe, not because of some cultural idea, we believe that scripture clearly teaches, and church history teaches, that to be the case. Now I want to, right there, I want to stop and I want to say, man, I know this is a difficult issue. And I want to acknowledge that. I am not in any way saying that this is a simple, just read the Bible and it will be obvious to you, this is a complicated issue. And I want to acknowledge that. But I want to also say that as a team, as we grapple with this, and including our wives, our wives have been on some of these conversations, in good conscience we believe that this is just not a position that we can take from Scripture. And so as leaders... I want to ask you, what would you have us do? Surely, the thing that we need to do is to say, God, in good conscience, we need to lead people according to what we see in your word. That's the safest place for you as a congregation. We cannot bend to culture without scriptural conviction. Not to say that if you believe from scripture something different, that it's wrong. That's our position on this, we do not believe that a great starting point with this one can I encourage you, I don't want this to be heavy I want to encourage you that a great starting point is to remember that if it is God's explicit instruction, it's for your good, it's to bring life it's not to suppress you, it's meant to bring joy and freedom not suppression and I want to finish that one about woman leadership up by saying, it's okay to bring your questions here it's a safe place, it's a big issue We want it to be safe. We want you to have space to be able to talk about these things. And it goes so beautifully with complementarianism. Equal in value, different in role. And that follows through in the church. Hopefully this is making sense. I think I have one more, two more. Same-sex relationships. Immediately, I want to distinguish between same-sex attraction and same-sex relationships. And I want to state categorically that any temptation is not sin in and of itself. If you are same-sex attracted and struggling with that, you are not in sin for having been tempted. Scripture says that Jesus was tempted in every way and yet was without sin. So that is really important right off the bat. Any temptation is not sin, but what we do believe is a massive pen issue for us is that what is an appropriate expression of human sexuality? It's our belief that God's idea for human sexuality is that it be expressed only within the bounds of of a monogamous heterosexual marriage covenant. That's our view. Which we believe is very clear in Scripture. The last one that I'm going to speak on in this pen section is the prosperity gospel. I'm hearing, as I'm going through, you know, like, oh, Gasp! Now you can see why I was sick last week. <laughs> Here's a question. Does God make some people healthy and wealthy? Absolutely. Can it be a blessing from God to be healthy and wealthy? Absolutely. If you are not healthy or wealthy... Is this evidence of sin in your life or a lack of faith? Absolutely not. And that for us, I think would succinctly put our position. Because if you drill down into what the prosperity gospel is really teaching, it's not just that God wants to prosper people. Man, we believe that. We can see that in other parts of Scripture that God wants to bless certain people to be a blessing. God gives wealth. God gives blessing. God gives these things. But it becomes incredibly, pastorally and experientially and everything, massively damaging when we start to teach that when people are not wealthy and do not have health, that we need to deal with a sin. So your kid gets sick. What did you do? What's the sin that you haven't repented of? Your business deal goes sour. You lack faith. Faith is the issue. It's got nothing to do with you. are useless businessmen. It's your faith. That was supposed to be a joke, but. (laughs) So following the example of we we believe that Jesus lays out, we understand sickness and, and poverty primarily as the works of the kingdom of darkness in action today. We're in the already not yet phase. We aren't in heaven yet. One day there will be no more poverty. There will be no more sickness, no more death, no more tears. We know that from Revelation. But right now, we're living in the kingdom has come, but it hasn't finished yet part. And so what is our role? Our role is to be his ambassadors, that when we have wealth, we help those who don't. That's why we have served stillies. Our role is that when we have health, we help those who don't have health. Man, it's been such a blessing in the, last, in the last 17 days, I think, last 17 school days. We've had all of our kids, which I know is substantial, it's quite a lot. But we've had all of our kids at school for two days because of just repeat illness going through our home. It's like, a, I, don't know, I don't know what's happening, right? But what a blessing to have a community that while we've been ill, have been just showing up. Jan, just beautifully, I see she was here now and she's walked off somewhere as I was going to celebrate her. Um, just so beautifully brought a meal for us and I'm not saying that in any way but I know that that happens in any way to get anything but I'm saying I know that happens across our community I just keep hearing about it Kate had a a moment with Victoria uh, at a petrol station I think I was going away for two days this week and on Wednesday morning um, Vic had had a moment with Kate at the petrol station and just said how are you doing and Kate just really honestly said not so great Actually, it's been a really hard few weeks. And that night, Victor's rocked up with something for Kate. And it's just so kind and so thoughtful. And this is part of how we respond to this nonsense, this this heresy of the prosperity gospel, which is doing serious damage. That when we're healthy, we care for those who aren't. When we're wealthy, we care for those who aren't. So where does this leave us for DNA? Where does this leave us for joining One Hope? What if you disagree? What if there's, this is a real issue, what if there's something... On our pencil list, which you think is very much part of your pen list, we say that's, not, that's an issue of conscience. It's not a hugely important issue. But for you, you saying, no, this is, a, this is a deal breaker. And I want to just clearly say, I don't think there are easy answers. It's not a simple one, two, three, four thing. But I'm going to give you a few thoughts. The first thought is, if you are in any of those categories, any of them that we've been speaking about, blood, pen, pencil, could you run, this is the first one, could you run in joy and trust with us while holding those different views? So let me give you an example. Let's say you've reached a position of infant baptism. Let's use the examples that we've been using. And we are saying, no, we believe in believers' baptism. We want to baptize every person who comes to Jesus. We're not going to baptize your children. We're going to celebrate them and say, hey, we're going to pray for you as parents, but we're not going to sprinkle water on them and baptize them. Here's the question. If you hold a very differing view, can you run with us in joy and trust and say, I trust that guy when he's preaching. I trust those leaders. I trust them to speak into my life. And actually, it's a joy to be here. Let me put it even more practically. What if we bought a big bath and we put it at the front, which is something we want to do soon, right? And start baptizing people right here. What if we brought that and we baptized people here with the community, with the congregation? Would something in your heart be like, I don't like this. That Sunday they're advertising, "Mm -mm, I'm not coming. Or would you be able to run in joy and be like, look, I don't believe it. That's awesome. Can we celebrate that? Here's another good question. Could we teach your kids that up in kids' church? If you had children, would you be okay with us teaching that to your children? These are important community questions. Because we're not trying to make everyone the same. We're not trying to make everyone believe everything the same. But we are saying, hey, if we're going to run together, we can run with difference. But it needs to be with joy and with trust in our heart. And that probably, to be honest, boils down to individual grace. Some people might be able to say yes. Others might be able to have to say, you know what? No, I actually can't. And both of those are okay. The second one is this. Will running with us violate your conscience? Will running with us, with what we believe, will it violate your conference? Let me give you an example here. Let's think about woman eldership. I think there's, there's, there's two aspects to this. One of them is simpler than the other. So imagine you're part of our congregation, and I know, I know some of you are, who believe that women ought to be elders or could be elders from Scripture, right? And you hold that position, and that's okay. And people run with us with that view. If you come into a church where we're saying, look, we don't believe that's the case, I think it's and I say this carefully, but I think it's easier to run in that realm because we're not asking you to violate your conscience. We're not asking you to do something you don't believe. We're not saying you must do this thing. We're just saying we're not going to fulfill everything that you believe. All right? But now, hopefully I'm getting this through, but now think about it the other way around. What if you went and you believed very firmly that only men should be elders, but you went to a church that was led by a woman or had eldership, women on eldership, Now for me, I'm saying I think that there's a violating of conscience because you've got to do something that you wouldn't want to do. Does that make sense? As an example, hopefully. Okay, I can't spend much more time on that, but that was one example I thought of. Whatever the case, whether that example works or not, will running with us violate your conscience? Would you feel ongoingly like, man, this is against... This is against what I think I should be doing. This is almost like a sin. The third thing I would encourage you as you're thinking about this community is to think wider than yourself. Think wider than yourself. In other words, are you good for this community? Is a helpful question to ask. Are you helping this community with your attitude, with your life, with the way you want to... Are you going to life group and trying to lead everyone down the route that you believe? When you know that the elders in the church are saying, no, this is what we believe. I don't think that's a helpful thing to do. I don't think that confusion is good for the community. I'm not saying we can't differ on certain things. But I'm saying if there's, if there's vast differences in what we believe, I need to ask you, think wider than yourself. Confusion and controversy is not a blessing. The fourth thing I want to say is that if you believe very differently, and this one is this one is extremely nuanced, but if you believe very differently to us on 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 some of the pen issues, we couldn't ask you to lead with us. Now let me articulate that carefully because the question you need to ask then coming into this community is, am I okay with that? Am I okay coming into a community where I believe differently, I have grace for it. I have joy for it. I can celebrate it. But they're not going to ask me to lead. Now, why would we do that? Are we trying to just keep it like an exclusive club, like us four and no more? Not at all. Not at all. I think it's it's really vital to understand what leadership is. Leadership is saying, I'm asking you as a leader to get people to follow you, to follow your life, to follow what you believe. And I don't think it makes any sense in the world to take someone who has vastly different beliefs to us and say, hey, why don't you take people and ask them to follow you into the things that we disagree with? It makes no sense when you think about it reasonably. So I think that one is fairly obvious, but I know it can be difficult. And the last one, the very last one, is this. If you believe a pencil issue, what do you do? If you believe that something we think, sorry, is a pencil issue should be a pen issue... What do you do? I, as an example, from what we've been preaching about, seven-day creation. We're saying that that for us is a pencil issue. You're saying, man, that is a pen issue. All day long, that is a pen issue. And as elders, we're saying we're okay with a variety of views and we don't believe that any of those things necessarily detracts from the authority of Scripture. How do you respond? I think you go back to number one. And you ask this question, could I run in joy and trust with this community in all the other areas? I think you need to ask, is this a violation of my conscience? And I think you need to ask, am I good for this community? I'm thinking wider than myself. And then I think it comes down to personal conscience. Does that help? All right, I'm, I'm done. I know this list is not um, exhaustive. I'm not trying to cover everything in a preach. I can't do that. I can't go into each detail of why we believe, what we believe in years to come. We can do that in different series. But I just want to say, as we finish, I want to say that we are so open for coffees. There's multiple people within our community who could meet with you, who could talk through some of these things, who could answer some of your questions who might not be able to answer some of your questions. We might have to reach a point where we say, look, you believe something, we don't believe something. There's great men and women of God on both sides of history who stand on different sides on a lot of these positions. And we're saying that's okay. Okay. We respond in grace. And I want to finish with Galatians chapter 3. So that this is our heart. So in Christ Jesus you are all. Not just you one hopers. Christ Church. One hope. Shofar. Gemeente. Everybody who believes the true faith. So in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith. For all of you were baptized into, your, into Christ, have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And I want to finish off by saying this is so vital when we talk about these things. That other believers, Jesus brings freedom. Jesus brings variety. Jesus brings that we respond in grace. In all these things. Love. Charity. Careful not to judge. Careful not to be ours is the way. Yours is not the way. But at the same time, trying to find that delicate balance where we hold and say, No, but these things are important. And this is what we believe so Lord Jesus we want to thank you Lord for your word we want to thank you for even the complexities within your word that make us think and make us aware of our deep need for you make us aware of how through a veil we see now Lord even within this room there's such difference in in our views and what we hold I want to pray Lord that you would teach us how to run with grace how to run with love, how to run carefully with one another. And I want to ask you, Father, that you'd give us clarity when it is better for us to be part of different communities to this one. And give us a peace that that's okay. We thank you, God, for all that you have done and are doing. Thank you that heaven awaits us where we will have no more questions. where We will have no more difference, where we will all see it the same way. I pray just grace upon this sermon as it goes out with our people. Even as discussions happen and conversations and life groups and all of these other things. Would there be a grace and a humility around the way that we speak about it. In the name of Jesus. Amen.